Hello and welcome from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This podcast you're about to hear was recorded at our Burrigan campus. So sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has to say to you. Lord, that is the cry of our heart this morning. We want to sing hallelujah. Hallelujah to the one who made a way for your people out of Egypt crossing the red the the red sea on dry ground lord you made a way when there was no way father and lord for us you made a way through your son jesus you have given us forgiveness lord you have given us freedom father you have made us right before you lord what a way that you have made for us and so lord this morning the cry of our heart is just to sing hallelujah i hope and pray that that's enough lord But Father, our heart, Lord God, we just want to lift up the name of Jesus. That every word that come out of our our mouth in worship, that we will bring honor and glory and power to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Be seated. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to see all of you here today. And I also want to greet um, our Uh, Brothers and sisters who are watching online and sharing with us this morning, it's great that you can join us. It is such a privilege for me to be able to share with you this morning and to conclude our series on walking with God, exploring the life of Moses. And I am sure that many of you have really enjoyed this series and have learned and probably even discovered new truths and perhaps even fresh revelation about the nature and the character of God, Yahweh, the great I am. In the last two months, we have explored the story of God's people, Israel, during their time in Egypt for 430 years and and how God called Moses and Aaron to speak to Pharaoh to let God's people go. And the cry of God's people rose up into heaven and reached heaven, and he heard them. And in the end, God rescued his people, Israel, out of the grip, out of the bondage of Egypt. His mighty acts of power demonstrated through the plagues. The blood of the lamb spared the firstborn and the Israelites from death. God's miraculous hand parting the sea so that the people of God can walk on dry ground, drowning the elite chariots of Pharaoh into the depths of the sea. If there is any particular people group or ethnic group in this world who have seen the powerful and mighty hand of God demonstrated right before their very eyes, it is the Israelite people. God did something incredible in their lives. He delivered them. He redeemed them from bondage and slavery. Things they have never seen and experienced before. It is the Israelite people who have experienced and seen the power and the miracles of God. It was a lifetime event in their history. And then of course, finally, Israel was free and the very first thing that they did was to sing. Moses taught them to sing. And in fact, this is the very first recorded worship song in scripture. 
And it's found in Exodus chapter 15, when Moses taught the Israelites to sing. But let me share with you a, a brief story that is written by Dr. George Sweeting. In his book, Psalms of the Heart, Dr. Sweeting tells of two Moody Bible Institute graduates by the name of John and Elaine Bickman, who in 1951 began missionary work among the Chol Indians of southern Mexico. Dr. Sweeting reports that they rode mules and traveled by dugout canoes to reach this particular tribe. They labored there for 25 years with other Wycliffe missionaries to translate the New Testament into the language of the Chol Indians. Today, the Chol Indian church is thriving with more than 12,000 members that make up the Chol Indian community in the southern, hill, uh, southern Mexico. Self-supporting, self-sufficient, and thriving as a congregation. But one interesting thing that they have observed is that this particular people group never used to sing. They're not used to, it was rare for them to sing. Their other rituals involve everything else but not singing. But with the coming of the gospel, however, the believers in the tribe became known as the singers. Elaine Bickman, the missionary for 25 years, began to translate hundreds of Christian songs into the Chol language. And they have been labeled as the singers. They love to sing now. Why? Because they have something to sing about. The, the freedom that the gospel brought into their community and into their tribe gave them a reason to sing. They have something to sing about. You see, worship is deeply rooted in scripture. Here's a few examples of the earlier account of worship in the Bible. Cain and Abel, for example, offered a sacrifice to the Lord as an offering out of the produce of their land. Noah built an altar to the Lord after the flood when him and his family were delivered and saved. And Noah built an altar to the Lord as an act of worship. Abraham offered his son Isaac on the mountains of Moriah in Genesis 22. And Abraham spoke to the servants and he, and he said very clearly, Stay here while I and the boy go over there and we will worship. Jacob built a memorial to the Lord and he called that place Bethel when he experienced the very presence of God and he was not even aware of it. Moses, after they have been delivered from Egypt, built an altar of sacrifice to the Lord to offer burnt offerings and you can see that in the book of Exodus. So let's read our passage this morning, Exodus 15. It's very long, so I'll just choose to read up to verse 10 because it's very long, 27 verses. But I would like to encourage you when you go home today, read the whole chapter so that my message will hopefully make sense to you. But let's read from verse one. It says, then Moses, the Israelites, and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted both horse and driver has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. 
The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he has hurled them into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who oppose you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed, it consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. Isn't that incredible? The surging waters stood up like a wall. This is like a declaration of what they've experienced. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, this is Pharaoh, I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Hallelujah. Keep going and you will be amazed. In the light of our theme this morning of I will sing, I would like to share with you three aspects of singing that is of great significance to God. First is that singing as an act of worship must be God-centered. Singing as an act of worship must be God-centered. When, when God sent Moses and Aaron to speak to Pharaoh during the plagues, there's some kind of a, a repeated pattern and statement that God made. And he said to Moses, this is what I want you to say to Pharaoh. He said, let my people go so that they will worship me. Let my people go so that they will worship me. You know, the word so that really is indicative of the why. The reason why God wants to deliver them. The reason why God wants to save his people so that they will worship me. And if you read the passage from chapter 7 of Exodus through the plagues, you can see there that this statement, so that they will worship me, let my people go, so that they will worship me, has been repeated seven times. You see, if God says something once, it is important. If he says it twice, it must be important. If he says it seven times, it must be very, very, very important. So we better stop and pay careful attention to it. When he said to Moses, this is what I want you to tell Pharaoh. I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they will worship me. God did not say, let my people go so that they can be free and live a good life. Let my people go so that they can just be free and live how they like. It wasn't like that at all. The so that really is only one thing. The so that is is that so that they will worship me. In other words, when we, when we think of worship, when we think of singing and we consider all those things, we need to understand that the calling that we have in our lives is to worship the living God. 
That is a very important calling. Now, what is the significance of repetition? Why did God have to repeat that seven times, you see? In scripture, when we talk about repetition, it's typically intended to emphasize the importance of the command, a story, a person, or an idea in order to highlight its significance. And so therefore, it's repeated. In the New Testament, Jesus also used repetition when he said, verily, verily, I say unto you. Paul also employed repetition when he said, rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. And in scripture, it's also repeated, for his love endures forever, his love endures forever, his love endures forever. Why is that? It's because it is important. It's because it is significant before God. that The call and command to worship the living God, Yahweh the great I am, is so important to God that it should take highest priority in our lives. Singing as worship really has a rich history in the Old and New Testament. In fact, in Zephaniah 3.17, it says there that the Lord God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. So our God sings over us. Our God rejoices over us. And who is the object of his rejoicing? You and I. We are the object of his own worship and his rejoicing and his singing. When he said, and he will rejoice over you with singing. In the New Testament, do you know that Jesus sang? Mark 14, 26 is a record that Jesus sang with his disciples. We must worship God alone and not man or anything else. Let's worship the creator, not the creation. Let's worship the giver and not the gift. God-centered worship when you sing. Now, in my family, um, I've experienced five deaths in my immediate family. My mom, my dad, my brother, two of my, three of my brother-in-laws. But the most difficult death was the passing of my mother. She had a cardiac arrest and was in a coma for three days on a respirator. And the siblings were kind of have this family meeting and go, what do we do? The doctors is saying to us to turn it off. And we decided that we won't until her very last breath. But on the third day, the nurse alerted us and said, oh, Jonathan, this might be the day. It was only my sister and I at that time. And that very day we had some friends and I, our pastor heard about it, my pastor heard about it. She came in the hospital room as we were waiting. The heart was becoming weak and weak until she flatlined. And she passed away. And my pastor prayed. And after her prayer, she burst into this song, To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. With his blood he has saved me. With his power he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. And when we got to the bridge, just let me live my life. Let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. And if I should gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. How many of you know that song, my tribute in the 80s? Such a beautiful song. And you know what? It was so painful for me to sing that. 
It was so painful for me to sing that. But I sang anyway. And it did my heart good. It did my heart good. And we praise God for that. We rejoiced. We thank the Lord for her life. My mom loves the Lord. She was founding member of my home church back in the Philippines. And her legacy continues. But you see, what do you sing when you can't sing? We'll just sing about God. Sing about his power. Sing about his deliverance. Sing about his protection over your life. Sing about his salvation. Singing as an act of worship must be God-centered, not man. The second is this, that singing as an act of worship must express our experience of God. It must express our experience of God. In other words, it's not just those empty mouthing of words. It has, it has to be something that really expresses about our experience of God. What are you singing about? And that's why I have problems with some of these Christian songs, sort of, that is just very shallow in their meaning and in their sense of purpose. But you see, for us as believers, the Lord has given us a song. What are you singing about? Moses taught the Israelites this song of praise as a spontaneous response to the mighty acts of God in their midst. They have seen him move and perform great miracles, and that was what they were singing about. Amen? The Israelites sang in view of their deliverance, of their victory, and the defense that God did, and their confidence in him, that he is a God who is actually able to deliver them. They were kind of like almost hopeless in a way, 430 years of waiting for the deliverance. And when it came, it was sweet. And that is why no wonder that Moses burst into this spontaneous song as soon as they reached the other side of the Red Sea. After they looked back and maybe the, the sea had come back already and they've seen the soldiers and the chariots of Pharaoh drowning, they just spontaneously burst into a song. They were not being coerced by a worship leader or a music team, or you know how sometimes we, I feel like we've got to rev up the congregation. Like, where is the spontaneity? If you really have experienced the power and the miracle and the deliverance of God in your life. And this is exactly what happened. And let me break it down for you because it's written like a song. As I said, this is the very first worship song, song written in scripture. So the song narrative is divided into different sections of verses. Verses 1 to 5 is about the Lord is a man of war. In other words, he is a man or he is a God that wages war with his enemies. And he is prepared to fight. And that is what the message and the content of verse 1. And you can see it in, in verses 1 to 5. Verses 6 to 10 continues on where it is a declaration of the power of God to overthrow those who oppose him. And in this case, Pharaoh and Egypt. And the people declared that. Verses 11 to 13 of Exodus 15 is talking about who is like you, God. Oh Lord, there is no other among the gods of other nations. You are the God. You are the God. Dan was talking about the other gods of Egypt. 
But this God is different. Yahweh is different. I am is different. And there is no one like you, God. And they have seen it and they have experienced it themselves. Verse 4 and 5 in a song is found in verses 14 to 18 of our text. The people will hear and be afraid. Who wouldn't be afraid? When they hear about the plagues of Egypt, who would, what nation wouldn't be afraid if they, hear, if they hear what happened to the Egyptians when God delivered his people? Who wouldn't be afraid? Oh my goodness. It's a scary thing. Just read the plagues. You will be afraid. But then, verses 19 to 21 Miriam leads the women in worship. And I, when I look at that, I go, oh, that could be like a bridge of a song. You know, when we have this little bridge. And this is the bridge. Miriam sang and taught the women. And he said, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. And she just kept repeating that and repeating that. And teaching the women, bringing her tambourine, singing and dancing and worshiping with the women. And this is the very first account where Miriam was acting actually named in the Exodus story. She was never named at the start, at the birth of Moses. She was never named in Egypt. But after the people of God was delivered, Miriam surfaced out. And scripture says that Miriam is described as a prophetess and so therefore have prophetic gifts. And in this situation, Miriam led the women in singing and dancing and worship. And you have seen this morning, we have girl power this morning in our team. We were led by three beautiful, amazing, incredible, talented women. There was supposed to be a guy in the team today, but he tested positive yesterday afternoon. And so, out of the action. But you see, this is the story. This is the song that, that Moses taught the people of Israel out of their own experience of the power and the deliverance of God. When Janelle and I were living and serving in Zambia, we have experienced worship, singing, dancing, like we've never experienced before. Where's our sister Patricia? Patricia! Shake your hand, yeah, raise your hand there. But the Africans, let me tell you, they sing all the time. (laughs) When someone is born, they sing. When someone dies, they sing. When there's food, they sing. When there is no food, they still sing. My goodness. When rain comes, they sing and rejoice. They have a song in every situation of life. And they just burst out into this beautiful, moving way of singing that is incredible three-part harmony. Isn't that true, Patricia? If you have heard of the Soweto Gospel Choir, that's what's happening in the villages of Zambia when we were traveling around. And they just burst into this beautiful song. Whatever the situation, whatever life brings, they sing out of their own experience. Amen? You know, the world is full of songs that celebrate sin and lusts. Songs that disrespect human, exalt the flesh while ignoring God. Songs that mock righteousness and promote wickedness. The world is full of that. And sometimes 
Our enemy is so clever in tempting us to sing the songs of the world. And I think one of the best things that we need to ask ourselves is this. What is really the message of this song? Is this pleasing to God? If I join in, is this something that is honoring to God? Is this something that as I open my mouth and sing along like, you know, innocently maybe, that is it really God honoring? And I think we need to begin to ask ourselves these questions every time we sing or open our mouth. Because it is so important for us to really focus on that when we sing, we sing out of our own experience of the goodness and the faithfulness of God in our lives. Amen? And then our text kind of like continues on and finishes with the experience of the Israelites in Marah. You see, Marah was an experience of bitter water for the Israelites. You know, as soon as they left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea. They were singing, dancing for three days, you know. And then when they reached Marah, of course, because they didn't have water, they were thirsty. Three days is, is kind of like almost enough for the human body to need water. After that, you'll die, all right? You'll die. But three days, you can survive without water. But in this three days journey, it was enough for them to forget the victory that they just had. It was enough for them to murmur, complain, and grumble to Moses and say, Moses, what's happening? We can't drink this water. It's bitter. Have you taken us here to die? And they start to complain. You see, the word Mara means bitter. And the people, when they experienced the bitterness of the water, they complained and grumbled to Moses. They've been traveling three days. They have no water, so they were all thirsty. And it was long enough for them to forget the miracle and the goodness of God. It must like be a, a, a cruel joke that the Lord would lead his people out of this incredible experience only to die of thirst in the desert, don't you think? And yet that was what they were thinking. So they complained to Moses, what's happening? And then Moses cried out to the Lord. And the Lord heard his prayer and, and showed him a tree. In the NIV, it said the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And Moses threw it into the water and it became drinkable. By following God's instruction and direction, God, through Moses, made the bitter waters of Marah drinkable so that the Israelites will be refreshed. You know, some commentators, as I was reading about this, actually suggested that this piece of wood is symbolic of the cross of Jesus. That this piece of wood is symbolic of the cross because just as the piece of wood when thrown into the water made the water sweet, because of the cross of Jesus, the bitter experiences of life, the bitterness of sin and death and everything else is made sweet because of that. And so this is already alerting about the salvation that God is going to do, not just for Israelites, but for us. Back here in Exodus 15. Because that's exactly what happened. Another thing that was uh, interesting about this, another commentary was that 
In this water, although it was sweet and drinkable, there was enough magnesium and calcium content in the water that had a laxative effect on the human body. Wow, that wasn't very good, wasn't it? And when the Israelite starts to drink it, it was bitter at the start, and then it became sweet, and so they kept drinking again. It gave them this tummy upset because uh, there was the magnesium and the calcium content in the water. And it was a really interesting discovery of that. And it made them sick of diarrhea. It made them sick of this. And they were just like releasing everything. But you see, this is what happened. A commentator was saying that that was God's way of cleansing his people. That was God's way of cleansing his people. They didn't understand it. But that was God's way of cleansing his people. God is not only interested in getting uh, the Israelite people out of Egypt. He was also interested in getting Egypt out of them. Physically. So that they will be ready and prepared for the long, hot journey through the desert into Sinai and into the promised land. That's what God did. And this leads me to my final point, that singing as an act of worship should be a response of obedience to God. You see, in verse 26, God tested them. He said, verse 26, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought out on you in Egypt, for I am the Lord who heals you. God tested Israel by giving them a command to obey. He said, if you Listen carefully. If you pay attention, if you obey, I will heal you and I will restore you. You see, in Mara, although it was a difficult experience for them drinking bitter water and then it turned into sweet, God wanted to test their hearts, whether they're really obedient to the Lord. 1 Samuel 15 verse 22 says, But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? He said, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Wow. It's really interesting whether the Israelite people were a, a worshiping people that murmur and complain sometimes or whether they are a complaining, murmuring people that sometimes worship. Interesting to ask, isn't it? And in that experience and in that land during their time in Mara, the Lord revealed to his people a new name. They have discovered and learned a new name. The name Jehovah Rapha. They've never experienced that before. They've never known that before. Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. The God that heals. And you know, one of the Greek words for the word worship is therapio. It means to heal, to restore, and to worship. This is where we get our English word therapy. Don't you think that when we worship the Lord in our pain, there is a healing 
experience that will take place in our lives if we genuinely, truly worship God. There is a restoring element when we do that. There is a healing and wholeness will begin to take place and the broken pieces of our lives will come together when we worship God. And that is the very moment where we will experience the therapio of God in worship. Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals. Amen. In Christ, we have something to sing about. We have been bought at a price because of his blood. We've been delivered from sin and death into life, from darkness into light. And that's what Jesus did for us. And that is the reason why we sing. Let's put God at the center of our worship. So my question for all of us this morning is this. What do you sing about? What song is rising from your heart? Do you view worship with contempt or with the heart of love and obedience to the Lord? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for, oh God, you are the God who deserves to be worshipped. You're the God who saves. You're the God who delivers. And so, Father, this morning, Lord, I pray that you will just reorient ourselves, Lord God, with our understanding of what worship is and what singing is. And so this morning, Lord, like Moses and the Israelites, we want to sing and we want to declare who you are in our lives. We want to declare what you have done for us. We want to declare your nature and your character, that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are our protector, that you are the God who provides, and you are the God that heals, Father. Lord, may that be the declaration of our hearts, Lord, when we worship you. And help us to be obedient to you. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast brought to you from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Our prayer is that what was said today inspires you and strengthens you in your faith. If you would like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, you can contact the team during office hours on the number you can find on our website at mounties.org.au. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to having your company again soon. God bless.